is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Miller to the Colorado line on left wing, trying to drive around. Taves to the goal. He scores. JT Miller off the left wing, fires it top shelf, short side. Colton down to the left circle. Hard shot. They score. Thrown to the net by Miles Wood. It gets past Demko, who's kind of pushed back into his own goal. Have your say on the official home of the Canucks. Miller's got it at the left point. He's poke checked by McCarr, who's got a breakaway to center. Kale McCarr in alone. He scores. McCarr poke checked Miller, and the Colorado blue line was in alone. And Demko got a piece of it with the glove, but not enough. It's 4-2 Avalanche. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks, 5-2 loss in Colorado against the Avalanche. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Dan Riccio. We are going to welcome in Randy Janda into the conversation. In just a moment's time, you can get in touch with us on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Get those thoughts in. And you can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. one of those nights where I thought the Canucks, they, they held their own for the most part, but too many mistakes, too many critical moments where they come up short, and ultimately that's the difference in this loss, Dan, and you know, it's one of those things where they could have done a better job here tonight, Yep, but it's one of those things where you look at the difference and you say that's a team that's a veteran team, a strong team, a disciplined team, one that just did not shoot itself in the foot and waited for Vancouver to make mistakes, and ultimately that was a difference. Colorado did not make mistakes, did not make as many mistakes is probably the the better phrasing for it, but they also capitalized on their opportunities, and the Canucks gave them a good amount, especially right at the start of the third period. Felt a little bit like the Seattle game where you go into the third, it's tied 2-2, and you don't have a clean enough game to keep this close to the end. Like right away, the abs are in the, in the offensive end. They're creating chances and eventually get the go-ahead goal early in that third period, not what you like to see for Vancouver. So some things to clean up because this is the way that it goes against the top teams, against teams that have played in the playoffs, have won in the playoffs. You know, they know and they can be disciplined enough to sit back and wait on their chances. Canucks have done it at points this year. But you got to be a little bit more consistent, a little bit more clean to do it uh, moving forward. Yeah, special teams didn't win that battle either. All right, let's welcome in Randy into the discussion. And Randy, a lot of things to break down, but uh, let's maybe spend a second on uh, the final, say, 20-odd-some seconds of that period. Uh, Philip Hronik, it they're down three. I get it. Yeah. But very content just holding on to the puck for over 20 seconds behind his own net to re- make the uh, clock run out. I've seen you know guys hold on to a puck, but not usually with that much time left. Boys, that was a business decision where you're saying <laughs> we're already down two defensemen. Yeah. Why take a chance? There's 20 seconds, a three-goal deficit. Um, you don't see it very often, but I can understand the logic behind it to say we've already dropped this game on to the next one, on to the next game against Seattle. What was your view of the third period there, Randy? Because, you know, it's tied going into the final 20, and the avalanche just proved to be a little bit better. Yeah, I think the first shift of the period kind of set the tone. You had the Olofsson line against JT Miller and the energy that that fourth line for Colorado brought out. It was kind of set the tone in the period. But I don't think the Canucks 
in the second period, all those penalties kind of killed the flow of the game. And, you know, the first period, the Canucks played pretty well. If you look at the five-on-five game anyways, outside of uh, a couple of soft penalty calls against the Canucks, I like their five-on-five game, but it felt like just the, the parade to the penalty box for both teams, and especially Colorado in the second, just kind of got the Canucks out of sorts. And in a weird way, you could see that that penalty really ticked off the Colorado Avalanche. Nate McKinnon added that extra gear to his game in the second half of that period. So unfortunately for the Canucks, they couldn't match that level in the third period. And there were some mistakes. Listen, this is a learning experience for every measuring stick game. You either, you know, you reach that level and you exceed expectations or you come away learning something. And I think there are a couple of moments in this game where, A, the special teams battle was something that in the second period really takes away Confidence. You get a couple of looks on the power play. You have a power play coming, guys. And rather than getting that, rather than scoring, um, you leave the power play uh, opportunities feeling less confident. I think that second period really set the tone for the third. No, I really think it did as well. And also, just one of the things that we've talked so much about this team improving, and the PK has improved compared to where it was last year because it was dead last. It was historically bad. But we're starting to see that kind of bend a bit more now. And the power play, now they're on an 0 for 8 stretch, and that's starting to cause some issues as well. That special team swing, even though some of the calls were bad, Colorado took advantage of their opportunity, or at least one opportunity. Vancouver wasn't able to. And and we talk about mistakes again. It's not Philip Heronik's fault. He's trying to defend a two-on-one. But if you stay in no man's land, you may as well not even be there. And I think it was a combination of the Canucks not helping themselves on special teams and also Colorado just being better on special teams. Yeah, that play was a tough one because you can't really do much there, but also you're staying in the middle. You're not really doing anything for either either risk there, either threat uh, on the Natushkin goal. The other two goals, though, the Druant two, uh, the second goal, the two one goal, and then yeah, the 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 Riley Tufty one in the third period. Like to me, that's one where you miss Carson Soucy. Uh, the Canucks in the second period especially had trouble really boxing out. There's a lot of room on that Druant goal where. Nobody's in his way. That's a five-on-five goal, guys. Uh, big body. You don't really, you know, even take body position, let alone you know box out. And Juleson just missed him altogether. It seemed like for sure. And even in the Tufty goal. And hey, listen, you know, I thought Ian Cole's had a great season, but he got just bullied on that play, shoulder to shoulder, and just gets backed into Thatcher Demko, where you know historically he's been pretty good around that blue paint. In that situation, he. He was, you know, just bodied out of that position uh, and backed into his goalie. So tonight, on the penalty kill for sure, I think since he's been injured, we've noticed the the difference on the PK with Carson Soucy. So good with his stick. He's a big body. He'll battle in the corners. But in front of that blue paint, he makes a difference. I felt 5-on-5, five five, they've really missed Carson Soucy tonight as well, where a guy like Drew Ann, who is not a hard-nosed player, goes in front of Thatcher Demko, is able to deflect that puck, and they needed to be tougher in and around that blue paint tonight on the defensive side of things. When you watch how Colorado did it, especially with uh, like how they were defending in front of their own net as well, and that's a team, despite the fact Manson went out, you saw how quick they are to pucks, and they have great length, and they have a lot of strength on their back end, and yeah, they have Sammy Girard, not the biggest player, but they still have some other guys that have some size as well, and, and I think they do a really good job, and something that Vancouver can learn from, of really not breaking and taking away a lot of those second chances opportunities yeah some of those lower on the depth chart guys too right you don't necessarily notice them but jack johnson i thought Mm -hmm. was pretty strong in certain areas he's got flaws in his game so does caleb jones but 
funny how, you know, playing for a better team can make you seem pretty good, right? Caleb Jones in Chicago, uh, having covered those games last year, guys, he was not playing well. He was not a very good player, but you go into a situation uh, that you're, you have better players around you, and he looked like a, a pretty decent third-pair defenseman. So I think from the Canucks perspective, uh, a couple of takeaways. And, you know, Ian Cole, I think there was a, a big block on this, in the final seconds of the, the second period. But, you know, the play that stands out to me today is that Tyler Myers penalty. He takes a slashing call, but, mm-hmm. you know, t- Ian Cole has just been so aggressive down the left wall, and he's been very good uh, doing that. Um, at certain points of the season, whether it's stepping up in the players and landing a big hit or just, you know, ensuring that that he's able to keep the puck in here. It's a four on four hockey, two forwards already down there. And really him and McKay are in the same kind of side of the ice and they both lose that battle. The puck goes the other way. And Tyler Myers is forced to take a penalty against Nathan McKinnon, which you can't really blame him. Um, just some questionable decisions by some veteran players tonight that, when you're playing really good teams, when you're playing teams that are sure they're underachieving right now, but you expect them to be in and around the Western Conference Final when all said, uh, all things are said and done, uh, you can't make those you can't make those types of mistakes against teams like this. I think it's going to be a bit of a seesaw battle between Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr all season long in the Norris conversation, but tonight uh, Kale McCarr sort of uh, reasserted his. Uh, place atop the best defenseman in the National Hockey League conversation, especially with the the turnover and then creating a breakaway for himself to really ice this game, Randy. He was the better yeah. player tonight. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was, and I think that play sums it up where I, on two fronts, right, that play on JT Miller, just to read it perfectly, and the dynamic play to, to beat Thatcher Demko, you could see Thatcher was not too pleased. He thought he should have had that. But there was that play a little bit earlier on where he's engaging in the battle with Elias Pettersson. I love that Pettersson was being aggressive on the forecheck, but the way that McCarr... There's a certain chippiness to his game that I think we can appreciate. He's always been a pretty good hitter, but his ability to say, all right, if you're going to play that game, I can play it fair, I can play it legal, but you're going to feel the hits I throw. And I thought that was... Kale McCarr basically kind of leveling up even before that goal he scored to say, all right, I, I got a little Nathan McKinnon in me too where I can play this trippy game and ramp up my my level even more if you ask me to. Yeah, and, you know, I, I just think in, in general, um, s- some of the guys tonight, I wouldn't say they didn't have it, but it was just more about, I think, outside of a, a, a real strong moment from JT Miller individually, Quinn Hughes made some great moments, not a great signature moment from their top guys, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, Pedersen, a lot of texts coming in and not, like flooded with text messages. Pedersen keeps falling down. Maybe Pedersen should sit a game. He doesn't look right given the weekend off. Text after text asking and criticizing Pedersen's play. This one says he's been slumping for a while, him and his entire line. And there's a lot of attention all of a sudden on Elias Pedersen, and he clearly doesn't look right. What are you seeing that's really holding him back right now? Yeah, I think the lack of balance was really noticeable tonight. Uh, there's a couple of moments where he was not touched, uh, you know, all that all that much, and he really went down, especially, I want to say, in the defensive zone a couple of times in the third period. Um, we, we've been talking about it for weeks. It doesn't seem like he's 100% there. Now, in terms of not dressing him in the next game or giving him a week off, um, you know, that's going to be up to the coach. That's going to be up to Elias Pettersson. It depends on what kind of issue he is dealing with, if he is dealing with one. But, like, we're not doctors, but we can certainly see that something doesn't seem right. Um, the question I have, though, is you got Seattle next. Seattle absolutely throttled the San Jose Sharks tonight, 7-1. 
And now there's a six-point gap between the Vancouver Canucks and Van- uh, and Seattle. So that, that next game is going to be a pretty important one where do you expand on that lead to eight or does it go down to four points? Uh, with Elias Pettersson, yes, if it's actually an injury, you have to consider you know sitting him. But if he's able to play and he's still somebody that you know you rely on, uh, which you do, he's still one of the uh, the leaders in scoring, I, I, I don't consider that. If he's at this level, you still play him. Um, but overall, yeah, Elise Pettersson had a rough game tonight. It was, um, you know, a couple of chances. But outside of that, guys, uh, early on in this game, I thought he made that good defensive play that led to a transition attack. But the moments were few and far between. He had a, another chance that Bavillier set up late in the game. Um, so I think having him in the lineup is still going to be really important. Uh, but you can tell he's not 100%. But when that happens, other guys have to step up. JT did it. Quinn's been doing it. But I'm looking throughout the lineup here where, you know, Credit to Georgiev, who made some saves. Dakota Joshua had a couple earlier on. I thought uh, Bovillier was a lot more active today, brought some speed to that line. Like, these guys in that middle six have to, have to you know, produce. And, guys, more than anything, that power play has to wake up. And I know Pedersen's a part of it, but if one of your main guys is not feeling it or he's is hurt, that's where, you know, that power play is even more important because you need to get goals you know, five on four. If you can't mm-hmm. get them uh, five on five, and yeah. and that's where I look and say that has to be the area of of improvement in the next game. It was uh, it was always going to be tough for them to to keep up with where they were, but yeah, it's it's at least got to be something that they can build momentum off of, and uh, that clearly didn't happen in the second period. And we've started to see Rick Tockett tinker with his lines a little bit more lately, and Anthony Beauvillier became more of a fixture there with with J T. Miller and Brock Besserfield. Did you? moving down uh it, it just feels like sorry about that reach I, I know it's probably you know what right I, I was i think i was first to mention it on the pregame show uh earlier this week where you know he's just there's not enough bottom line there right now from from phil di giuseppe and he's not getting to his spots as well as he was earlier in the season oh that's you, one of the pains like you yeah, should see the pain in, uh, in reach's face right now talking about single this. tear going down his cheek right somebody now, somewhere is giving me molecule right now so this is uh this is a problem it's <laughs> the veins in his forehead are showing that's how hard it is for him to get this out it's it's a tough one shedding a single solitary tear as i say it but you've got to mix something up and bavillier was going a little bit i it it was going to happen eventually i guess um but it's starting to show the cracks and you know where a little bit of the the canucks forward lines are a little bit unbalanced yeah, and this is where you need two things to happen. You need Kuzmenko to have production. Uh, I think that Pedersen line being able to chip in five on five is really, really important. And there's a couple of moments in this game early on where Ilya Mikheyev in the first period has two opportunities, right? You score one of those, and we might not be talking about, you know, five on five where the goal is going to come from. Uh, we might be talking about a Canucks victory or at the very least a uh, slightly different storyline here. Well, the but, Joshua one in the third was maybe the most, uh, the, the toughest miss. He missed a sitter. Yeah. Missed a sitter. First one, Georgiev makes that save. Second one, right through the crease for sure. But that's why, you know, if Phil Giuseppe, listen, he's been a heck of a story, but now you're starting to see that ice time be around 13 minutes. It was sub 13 minutes today. Uh, to your point, yeah, they're looking for more speed. They're looking for somebody to get to their spot quicker, mm-hmm. and he hasn't been able to do that. But that puts more on, importance on a couple of players. And Bovillier is going to get that opportunity now, 16-27 tonight. He had an assist. You need to have more production because he's getting his chances. It's not like he's get, not getting his chances. And, guys, I think, you know, 
you start looking at Connor Garland as well in third line. Sure, they did some good things, but this is why you need interchangeable parts. This is why you need to have players, when they get that chance in the top six, to have some production where we understood Phil Giuseppe was not going to be the answer full-time over probably 82, but you need some of these other guys to say, all right, internal competition, hey, if Phil's stumbling, I'm going to take a spot. And Bovilli has done that to a certain extent, but I, I want to see more. I want to see more consistency. And this is also a challenge to a player like a Connor Garland to say, hey, man, if you want to move up the lineup, well, mm-hmm. continue playing pretty decent, up that ice time, win back the trust, and you might get a, ch- a chance back at the first line uh, as well. But, you know, one of those three guys, and I would, I- I'm not going to think about Niels Hoaglander in that vein yet, even though he gets another, uh, you know, goal tonight. Uh, but it, you, somebody's got to step up here because, as we know, Phil Giuseppe is not going to be an 82-game solution. He might be a 50-game a solution on the on top two lines. He might be a 60-game solution. But every now and then, you got to have that internal co- uh, competition. Otherwise, everybody feels like they're fat and happy. And, and we know what Rick Taka thinks of that. A couple injuries looming all of a sudden. Mark Friedman left the game, did not return. Tyler Myers left late. It looked like uh, he hurt his hand or, or his arm or something, which after blocking a shot, and he did not return either. Uh, for a D that is already... Not the biggest strength of the team. They have Susie out. Uh, how big could these injuries loom here? Yeah, these could be pretty big, especially on Tyler Myers, because even though he's got a lot of critics in this city, he's had a pretty solid season. So, you know, when you're talking about the Mark Friedman injury, obviously his ability to play the left-hand side the last few games, his versatility, um, he hasn't been the most, I wouldn't say, you know, a vital player, right? Like there's still been some cracks in his game. He's a, a bottom pair defenseman, but the last two games he was playing okay. Uh, Tyler Myers is the one that you got to watch because even tonight, missing a good chunk of that third period, still played 18 minutes. He's a guy that can kill penalties. He's played aggressive and physical along the walls. He's always battling, and I've liked his defensive play. So, you know, to me, I think that's the one to watch here. And Akito Hirose uh, took the warm up today. If either one of those guys missed the game, uh, against Seattle. Luckily, you're back in Seattle. You could probably call somebody up. They don't have to travel very far. But Tyler Myers is the one I'm watching because he did look like he was in pain after blocking that shot. It looked like that, uh, the hand. Um, that's Those are important minutes. Those are a lot of minutes that he eats. And if he's not playing, then you have to elevate somebody uh, to play on that, that right-hand side, maybe break up the balance of Philip Ronick and Quinn Hughes yet again, which uh, when they haven't played together, uh, the Canucks don't look as dangerous. So Philip, uh, sorry, excuse me, uh, Tyler Myers is the one that I'm looking at to say, all right, hopefully he's all right because that could be a big loss. Uh, also for the Avalanche, uh, seems like Nathan McKinnon uh, being checked with an X-ray post-game, uh, maybe for blocking that shot just before the McCarr goal in the third period. But uh, we'll keep an eye on that from an Avalanche perspective and also one of the best players in the league. Uh, final thought, uh, Thatcher Demko. You know, he, he made some big saves tonight. Uh, I guess maybe the third goal where there's the, the scrum in front of the net, you wonder wonder about a little bit, but, uh, you know, it just seems like uh, picking at straws sometimes with Demko. Yeah, I thought with Demko, you know, that goal, you could tell that Ian Cole kind of getting in his uh, his grill a little bit because of taking that shoulder from Riley Tuft unsettled him. Uh, the puck might have gone through before that even. So if you're going to... If we're going to focus on one goal, that one might be it. But let's be honest, guys. That third period, Colorado upped their game. Um, I felt in the first period even as well, there was Natushkin and Rantanen had a couple of chances down Main Street that, you know, Thatcher had to be sharp. He made some saves. But 
overall, this was a this was a third period where the Canucks will probably want to forget about a little bit just based on the fact that um, they they simply got outplayed. They couldn't match the level of the Colorado Avalanche, and I don't really look at Thatcher Demko to say that was a game that you know he'd want back. He, really, no mistakes from my perspective. Um, so I think with Thatcher, it's it's unfortunate. You know that kill McCargill, he was. Pretty angry after that one, shaking his head, thinking that mm-hmm. if he can get a glove on it, he should be able to make that save. But I, I look at those goals and say, uh, I'm not mad at any of those for Thatcher Demko. Usually if he sees it or if he gets it clean, uh, it's not beating him. So uh, just unlucky for him tonight. Uh, great stuff as always, Randy. Appreciate your time. And we look forward to chatting with you on Friday when the Canucks are in Seattle against the Kraken. And then with the Kraken winning tonight, all of a sudden that gap, that cushion against the Kraken isn't as big as it was. So it brings up a pretty big contest on Friday between the two rivals not too far from one another great stuff Randy thanks man all right boys take care all right and uh, we'll get into that a bit more about the next game in Seattle and what it kind of means and everything the i rivalry. yes as John Shorthouse called it yes that's I, I can't take credit for it I heard Shorty say it on the broadcast so. I think, yeah you give you can cite and it's always good to cite you give <laughs> citations we learned that in college make sure you write it down um, now not every reporter learns that <laughs> usually you get called out for those things yes. it catches up with you eventually yes. plagiarism doesn't take you very far usually <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I would say too, um, and you know, on Thatcher Demko, and we are going to get to your phone calls, more of your text messages, and we'll hear from Rick Taka coming up on the other side in just a moment. But I think Tim Demko was playing at such a high level, Dan, earlier, and yeah. he was just so good, and, and you know, things were just—he was making every save, nothing was getting through him. That him just looking really good, as opposed to looking unbeatable. I think is shading the perception a little bit. His numbers not as sparkling. The last couple of games, there's been moments here and there. But I mean, outside a tough goal, maybe. But there's traffic in front of the net. I don't know which goal you really want to fault him for. Like McCarr is a breakaway coming in, and it's Kale McCarr. Like yeah, maybe you hope he makes a spectacular save, and maybe that's what you needed to do. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I can't, I'm hard pressed to say any of those goals are really bad. No, it's it's more just hey, um, we we saw you make every save at the beginning of the year. Like, what was this high danger save percentage for a while? There was like nine seventy. Yeah, so it's like what fifteen goals above yeah, average expected or it, something. It was always going to, and this is sort of the regression we've been uh, wondering when it was going to start coming for the Vancouver Canucks, and it's happened in little spurts here, but but Canucks had their chances at the other end too. And they just did not capitalize in the same way that the Colorado Avalanche did. Yeah, I mean, I know the uh, the public data says 9-9 hiding your scoring chances. I do think there was a few chances that Colorado had that they probably didn't get as much credit for. Yes. You know, so I, I, I do think they still had maybe some chances. I think Vancouver, and they had some odd man breaks. Vancouver didn't have yeah. those outside of the Mikheyev chance. He comes in alone and, and Georgiev makes a great save. I mean, Dakota Joshua should have been able to tip yeah. something in front of the net, Fair. you know, Fair. and there was uh, another chance at the net. I think it was Miller who uh, feathered a pass through to a streaking player that got a tip on it, and Georgiev makes a nice save. Like, the Canucks did have some level of chances. They did uh, cause, you know, around the midway part of the third period, the Canucks were really pushing, and the Avs, for a time, were really tilted in their own end until Makar sent this one the other way. Yeah. You know, like it was it was all Canucks for a while there in the third. They just they didn't generate enough with the right. amount of zone time that they were creating. No, they didn't they didn't in general. Um 
Ian says, I love Randy, but I disagree about the third goal. The Canucks were the better team for all but a few moments. I don't disagree that the Canucks were better in the third. Here's the thing, though. The Canucks started pushing because they're trailing, and good teams do that. They push, and even Colorado's going to be on its heels from time to time. But they never broke. Yeah. They 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 maintained their structure. They battled hard. There was a great battle between McCarr and Pedersen behind the net where McCarr won a couple, Pedersen won a couple. They really went back and forth. But they weren't really really being dragged out of position. And a mistake ends up costing the Canucks when they're down one goal. And that's JT Miller turning the puck over. Probably a little bit more awareness. You're trying to make something happen. I get it. You turn that puck over, though, you have yeah. to be aware of you know what's going on at that point. It's not a smart It's more being aware play. of who's defending you in the moment. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and listen, JT's trying to make something happen. Yep. I'm okay with that. It's a mistake out of ambition, but you can still you know critique and say, hey, maybe it can be better. But nonetheless, it's a team you can't make many mistakes against. When you're trailing, you have to take a few chances yeah if that's a first period mistake of a scoreless game i don't love it right (laughs) but when you're down a goal in the third period with a few minutes left on the road like you got to try and make something happen especially when you're the top guy on the team yeah and nonetheless like you still be critical of it but also Pedersen wasn't able to really enforce his he hasn't been able to impose his will yet no and when that happens somebody else has to and we're starting to see that be a bit of an issue now we'll break that down more Mm -hmm. on the other side we'll hear from the head coach your phone calls and your text messages as a connect central post game show rolls on Canucks lose 5-2 in Colorado against the Avalanche right here on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet 650 the most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah be sure to subscribe on Apple Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts this is where you talk Canucks you're listening to the Canucks Central post game show on the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network Miller there's behind the Colorado goal. Watched by McCarr out the right wing side. High slot. Besser got a one-timer away. It was blocked by McKinnon. And Miller's got it to the left point. He's poke-checked by McCarr, who's got a breakaway to center. Kale McCarr in alone. He scores! McCarr poke-checked Miller. And the Colorado blue line was in alone. And Demko got a piece of it with the glove, but not enough. It's 4-2 Avalanche. The Canucks were pressing, and J.T. Miller trying to make something happen as he tries to cut back towards the boards on his backhand, and Kale McCarr reads it perfectly, goes in all alone, makes a wrist shot, glove hand side. Canucks, 5-2 decision, a loss in Colorado against the Avalanche, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Dan Riccio. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You can also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll-free 1-888-275-0650. Uh, we, we have a lot of different reaction. We have people texting in saying, like, Ian, hey, they lost three out of four now. I'm still predicting them to miss the playoffs. You have people not sold on the team, obviously. Uh, you have others texting in um and actually like i i'm more inclined to agree with uh, nuck nucks fan missy from maple ridge let's not panic uh, we still have a cushion she says and the Canucks still have a cushion however it's getting smaller and you have to take advantage of it it can disappear quickly it can now i agree that this isn't a panic game but but some are feeling that way bill from red deer says colorado just has more will to want to win you can see the difference uh when colorado isn't winning you can really see it in them it really 
pisses them off. I think this game shows Van is close. One more Hronik and a serious driving winger. I think we match up against the Avalanche a lot better. That's Bill from Red Deer. Uh, Seattle with the Seattle Jed with the opposite take. At least we lost to a top team. Next up, Seattle. Oh, it's just Jed, not uh, Seattle Jed. <laughs> just yeah, Seattle Jed. Hey, hey, I get what you're trying to what you were reading there, Reach. I got you. I uh, I mixed up the text box, but uh, it, it's it's a little bit of both, right? You want to see the Canucks be able to win against these top teams, but if you look at the pattern of the toughest teams they've played against this year, the Rangers game. Neck and neck right with them. Yeah, I thought they were better than the Rangers, but lose in overtime. Uh, the Dallas game, they were better. They win that game. Here, this one, uh, you know, the Maple Leafs game, they they were not that good. No, at least they weren't. They weren't. They were good for the first half of the game. The second half, Toronto took over. Yeah, they they really struggled in the in the second half of that game. Um, and then there's you know this one here against against Colorado, and you know they're right there again with them. So. For the most part, in a lot of these games, you know, Florida, you go back earlier in the year, like they, they played really well against the Florida Panthers. So they, they've done well against top teams they have played this year. And this is another one for me where they're pretty close. If you play this game over, like if you play this game another 10 times, this exact same game, Canucks get a few bounces, they probably win, I don't know, 40% of them, you yeah. know, uh, uh, out of a 10-game sample, probably. Like, that's how close tonight's game was to me. It's just the avalanche a little bit cleaner, a little bit better. And that's why, for me, it's it's sort of one of those growth experience type games where it's another feather in Rick Tockett's cap to say, this is why we got to harp home on our staples yeah. and our as much as we can be mistake-free hockey because it can make the difference in these real tight games. Yeah, it's a great template to show the video and say, hey, the things we want to do, yeah. look at them executing on those things. And that was yeah. the difference in, in, in many ways in tonight's outcome. All right, let's take a phone call before we get to head coach Rick Tockett. You can also call in 604-280-0650. And let's go to Dallas where we have Nav on the line. Nav, thanks for calling in, buddy. Uh, what are your thoughts tonight? Hello, Paul. As first, I got to say, you and Vic are the best. I love you guys' show. Not uh, that I hate on Bic, but like, do I get some love too or no? Dan's, Dan's well, in for You Bic are the today. best in the business, Rat. <laughs> you and then Rick Dollywall's next. You guys never report fake news, <laughs> and I love listening to you on the radio. Never mind me. I'm chopped liver. Give, yeah, Dan Riccio <laughs> needs some love too. Bic, you're not chopped liver. No, Bic's away tonight. <laughs> Is Dan in for Bic tonight? But yes, go oh, on, Dan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's Dan. What happened to your boy, DJ Suppy? <laughs> Straight in on the PDG joke. <laughs> wow, my boy is struggling. Somebody gave him a lockio. He can't. He can't buy a goal right now. I think Hoglander has to replace him on that line. I, I like Hoglander where he is right now. Um, and I, you know what? Tonight, I think Beauvillier, uh He did pretty well when he moved into that spot for for Phil DiGiuseppe. If I'm honest about it, he did. Honestly, all I had to say was we did keep up with these guys. We should have won this game, but we just didn't get the bounces tonight. Yeah, I think and, you know, that was a lot, a big part of it too. Yes, and the reference wasn't the greatest. Yeah, the officiating wasn't great. I mean, but it, yeah, I mean, I, I had I, my rant in the second intermission. I, but. I don't know how many times, uh, how many times a team, and thanks for the phone call, Nev. I don't know how many times the team has had a five minute major without spending a single second <laughs> of that on the power play. Josh Manson sent uh, a sent <laughs> off for a game misconduct with. 
a cross check to the face of Brock Besser. And hey, we can and did debate the the validity of him being uh, given the five minute major. But well, it's like the it's refs like, essentially were like, well, maybe we did make a mistake, so we'll just like give the Canucks all the penalties so that there's they're even for the entire five minutes. Yeah, they essentially had to like find a way to take away the final three <laughs> minutes of that PK, and they did. Yes. You know, so they made it even at the very end, and I thought that was pretty remarkable. Yeah, not a well. Not a well officiated hockey game, not at all, right? It, and it was it, it was it, set up in the first period with the soft calls, and then yeah. you know you, you start giving the Canucks some soft calls because you got to even it up, and it's just like I said, it's the endless circle of bad officiating. If they would have just let them play, it was a really even game, a really quality game for for a lot of it. Yeah, I think so as well. Now the thing is, a lot of the mistakes got in the way and this text here Marcus and Gibson's neighbor so we have Marcus and Gibson's his neighbor is texting in oh, and saying one of the best the one of the best Canucks games I've watched in recent memory we can hang with the best it might it's my takeaway what an entertaining game no matter what the outcome tonight I would imagine Talkin will be pleased with the effort now how does the head coach feel about this effort and here he is post game after a 5-2 loss in Colorado Another tight game in the third, and they got the other one. It seemed like they got the push, might have won, just couldn't get the Yeah, we had a lot of chances. There were lots of shots. We just couldn't get a handle on a couple. And then, you know, on the, I think it was the third goal, it got to stop in the slot there, and uh, they scored that goal. That was a, you know, that was the one you got to play good defense, and uh, we gave them that one. Uh, what did you think uh, overall about the way your team? Yeah, the guys played hard. A lot of guys played, uh, emptied the tank. We had some, some really good moments. A lot of penalties there. Um, yeah, for the most part, you know, you know these are these are the type of games that are going to happen for the rest of the year. Um, you know, this is the, this is where you got to make sure your details, you stop in the slot defensively, things like that. Um, we got to keep working on. So a lot of different line combos. Was that a product of all the you know, shorthand play, power play in the second period, or was that just the way the game was going? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of guys penalty killing, power play, and stuff like that. Yeah, you're looking for some guys to get going too. You know, trying to. You know, get some guys to get some production too. Difficult when you see Joshua line night after night getting some chances and creating chances and working hard, not quite getting rewarded for it. Yeah, a couple by the net. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, they're, they're 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 right there, and you know, hopefully they can they'll start to go in for him. Um, you know, start being in the same spot. I think the second guy's got to be a little bit quicker to those loose pucks. Uh, you might get more opportunities if you could, if the second guy's a little quicker to the net. Taken a few shots to the head the last couple of games. Any update on how he's No, seen? I haven't. I've just haven't seen him. Yeah, I think he, he uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll find out the rest of the guys. Just under, uh, uh, Thatcher's play this year after being you know out for a couple months last year, how has it been overall this season? He's been great, he's been terrific for us. Terrific. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 5-2 loss in Colorado. Short and sweet, but uh, generally very positive about the effort. Had a lot of chances, didn't put him away. Um, not a long media availability, obviously, being on the road and not a lot of Canucks reporters being there. Um, so not too many in-depth questions, obviously. Yeah. Um, but generally, like Marcus and Gibson's neighbor mentioned, <laughs> you would imagine the coach would be pleased. And I do think from a coaching perspective, you're pleased with the effort. You're pleased that... You were, for the most part, hanging with that team. You won't be happy with some of the mistakes, some of the decisions, and I'm sure they'll go over that and work on it. But I, 
I would also tend to agree generally that I, I did not expect the coach to be overly critical after that. And like somebody else texted in, I mean, this was the best game Colorado's played all season. Um, and they're a contender now. And, and those teams don't take the Canucks lightly because of the hot start they've had. And um, you do have to give the opponent credit sometimes. So given the opponent, given how the game kind of unfolded, uh, and somebody texted in and said this was more of a it felt more of a 3-2 game as opposed to a 5-2 game. And I do agree the the score probably makes the game game seem like it was more out of hand than it actually was. For the most part, it was a one-goal hockey game throughout and until Colorado got that second goal from Kale McCarr. And that's really when it salted it away in the final. So for about 53 minutes, it was pretty much a you know tight one-goal game. It, it really was uh, about as tight as you can get. Now, Colorado, you know, when they turned it up, uh, Canucks struggled to find the success. And really curious, I'm, I'm actually um, watching back the third goal because Tockett's, on, well, okay, okay. Tockett's assessment of it was that we just, we gave them a goal. <laughs> it wasn't, uh, you know, anything like Thatcher let in a soft one. He was subtly very critical about how they defended that goal. And I think it comes down to the rail guy once again because the the puck comes from below the goal line through the slot where the rail guy should be stopped at the hash mark to break up a puck coming back to the point through that area. And mm-hmm. they're not there. And he's been harping on this for a couple of games yeah. now, going back a week when we first brought it up on Canuck Central. And uh, that's another situation where Rick Tockett's not happy with the rail guy coming down to make sure that puck doesn't come out in front of the slot. And that's the goal he hated the most. We mentioned yeah. how, uh, you know, on the power play goal, Heronic gets caught in the middle. We mentioned uh, the second uh, Drew Angle. He's left all alone in front of the net. Pedersen doesn't really take him. Cole and Juleson. Juleson kind of loses him. Juleson just missed him. assignment yeah. as, as Drew Ann slips behind him. Yeah. So all three goals, mistakes. Yeah. All f- sorry. All four goals before the empty netter, too. Uh, yeah. JT Miller turning it over, killed McCarr going the other way. So, I mean, you look at all these goals, all mistakes. And some of the odd man chances Colorado had as well, and some of the breaks they had came off mistakes. It's as simple as you made too many mistakes tonight. And Colorado, for their talent and how good they are, to me, the difference is the, the discipline they play with. When we spoke about this on the pregame show, Dan, and, and how if the Canucks were going to win this hockey game, they had to be like they were in the Dallas Stars game. Yeah. Don't make mistakes. You can't give those opportunities to the opposition. Play your game. You'll get chances. And try to goad them into mistakes. Colorado had no, none of that. They, they, had, they had no interest in making mistakes in this game. And, and one of the things that I'm so impressed by them as a team, and also Kale McCarr in general too, for as talented he is, as fast as he is, as all the for, for the for the battle he even has, and, and all these things that he does, he very seldom takes low percentage chances. Mm-hmm. You'll see him at the end of a shift; he'll just chip the puck in. He's he understands time and place. He'll never do a bad line change. Just all the details are on point for this team. That's why they went on to win a Stanley Cup, right? And last year they struggled in the playoffs. They've had some injuries too, and that's held them back. But when they're on their game, they don't make mistakes. Yep. And tonight the Canucks were the team that just couldn't quite get out of their own way. And if they play clean or great, great learning experience, you can get a lot better at it. But to me, that's, that's a difference here. And some of that comes down to experience and some of it comes down to having the type of buy-in and chemistry on your details. 
And then not to mention their PK. Yes, yeah. the Canucks have now gone 0 for 8 in their last eight, and they missed all three of their chances. They had a short, brief 5-on-3, but Miller wins it clean. They don't really get a chance to set up for it. But outside of that, you have to give Colorado credit, too, for how, how good their PK is and how in unison they, their chemistry is yeah. as a team. Quinn Hughes speaking post-game, um, you know, he made point to say power play's got to clean some things up and work on a few things. So they obviously think they can be a little bit cleaner. But ultimately, and you know what? This wasn't one of those games where they didn't have five-on-five chances, where they didn't create five-on-five chances. They did create quite a few, um, you know, arguably as many, maybe not as dangerous as Colorado's, but they, they on a, yeah, if you were to score them all up, they're probably pretty even at the end of the game. This is where you need to have more five-on-five scoring chances. When your power play inevitably hits a few posts, goes through a little bit of a slump, isn't clicking at 40% like it was earlier when they were really going through that hot stretch, you're going to need the rest of your game to pick up or you're going to have to play even cleaner at five-on-five to make up for the less offense you're going to have in your game. And essentially, that's where the difference comes up against the Colorado Avalanche here. Yeah, it does. It, it, and it ultimately is the big difference here. I just want to point out, again, uh, on that third goal, watching it over a couple of times here, it's Kuzmenko that should be a little tighter to the rail. And so he's going to be the one that gets it. So when we talk about... and. Look, it was just uh, last Saturday where Andre Kuzmenko took some heat from the coach post-game. Kuzi's got to play a little harder, bottom line, whatever it was, the exact wording from from Rick Tockett. You know, this is another defensive moment where a coach is watching a guy, an offensive guy, and saying, these are the moments that I need to trust you in, and, and you're letting me down a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, I saw people text in, too, and say Kuzmenko didn't look very good. I actually thought Kuzmenko, up until the third, in the second, he created a few chances, and I think he was one of the guys that was actually forcing the play. He he, he picked a couple of plays off um, at the blue line to create chances from, and he won a couple of battles along the boards. I thought he did a good job a couple of times on the forecheck, holding the puck, allowing players to come, and especially on a line change where yeah. Pedersen took off, he, he held on to the puck along the boards for a good 10 15 seconds allowed the change to happen the guys came they got the play going so the type of gritty work they want to see from him i saw a lot of it but you mentioned that play now and again it goes back to the coach demanding certain things and we're seeing a lot of it but it's not always quite there yeah and i think that's where where the frustration is it's almost like just don't switch off yeah the moments you switch off are the ones that cost you just just stay switched on because when you do you can be super effective and if you go back and watch the goal again you can just see Kuzmenko is uh, he's just he's just high in the zone. He doesn't really have a man. He's not tight to the rail. He's not tight to the point yeah. man. He's just kind of hanging around in no man's land. I don't know if he's waiting for a loose puck to come his way so he can break through on a half break or what, but he's just he's not doing much of anything. He's slapping a stick on the ice and yeah. it's like, "Well, what are you covering? What are you what are you doing?" Mm-hmm. And and I I'm sure that's essentially what the coach would say in that moment and why post game he mentions we gave them a goal yeah no it's it's a great point and um you know going back and, and looking at it now you're right it's it's one of those things again go through the four the four goals outside the empty netter all mistakes le- leading to those goals and that third one to the coach the most egregious jack from australia says 
We played four games against contenders this season, and we've lost three of them. A lot of rose t- tinted glasses in Vancouver at the moment. Not oh, enough whoa, polish whoa, whoa, from whoa. the bottom six. Not enough consistency from, from the top six, and too many weak penalties every game. Am I wrong, Jack from Australia asks. So uh, I'd love it if Jack you know, texted back in and, and mentioned which are the contenders. I'm going to guess Colorado, Toronto, yeah, and Tampa Bay. Yeah, Dallas, you can also say. But they beat Dallas. Yeah, but I'm saying, yeah, but, uh, yeah no, I understand. He's been, he mentioned three losses to contenders. Out of four, yeah. So Dallas is the one they won? Dallas is the one they, they lost to Tampa. They beat the team that just went to the Stanley Cup final last year, the Florida Panthers. Yeah. Right? And who's off to a really good start, that team as well. They beat the New York Rangers, who've been one of the best teams in the... Uh, well, they didn't beat the New York Rangers. They, they went toe-to-toe with the Rangers and lost in overtime, thanks to uh, a missed call by the referee. But they lost, so fair enough. But they went toe-to-toe with them. Look, I, I just think it's it's a bit egregious to pick your spot and be overly critical about the Canucks' record against top teams in the league when... If you're being honest about it, they've matched up pretty well against all the best teams they've played against so far. The worst game they had was Toronto. Yeah. Out of that. They had moments against Tampa, but they still hung in that game. Lost in regulation, however. You know, they've had now three regulation losses in those games, too. Yeah. Right? So, and listen, and until they... And can, I still contend they broke the Oilers. Yeah, they Who were supposed to be a Stanley Cup contender this year. Right. And, you know... Uh, when you look at like how those games went to overall, they weren't out of and even Toronto, like the first half of the game, they were in. So it's not like we're talking about, oh my God, like the, we're talking about, you know, men against boys out here. Like it hasn't really been that, you know, in those games. But it's fair to be skeptical in any case. I don't think it's unfair to be skeptical because we're talking about uh, a 20 game sample now for the Vancouver Canucks, very early in the season still. There's a long way to go. And they've lost some games against good teams. And until you start having more success against the better teams, these questions will arise. And I think it's fair to ask those questions. Now, it comes also down to how they're actually playing. And you play this, you have this type of performance in terms of effort and play and limit mistakes. You win a lot of these hockey games. So it's a lot of correctable stuff. And that's where I'm more, I wouldn't say encouraged, but I'd say... I'm more, I expect them to clean up a lot of these things. Yeah. It's correctable. Mm-hmm. And when it's correctable, I can live with that. You know, so it's, it's one of those losses where if I'm evaluating it, 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 I can live with it. I don't like certain aspects of it, but I can live with this type of a loss, even though you made some mistakes that you probably shouldn't have made. I, um, so listening to talk it, listening to even Quinn Hughes in the break, um, the Canucks seemed to feel like they generated quite a bit in the third period, that they had a good push. I think that is contrary to the Seattle game, where I didn't like their third period at all. Right. Where I didn't think, even though they pushed in the, the final two minutes or the final 30 seconds, really, when Tockett essentially waved the white towel, he's like threw Demko back in the net, threw out the fourth line, like, we're done. Like, this is... I'm frustrated. You guys aren't giving me anything. And they ended up scoring. They almost, you know, crazily tied the game at the end of it. Yeah. Um, But today they did a better job of pushing. 
after they gave up that third goal, they did create some chances. And it's more about being a little cleaner in those moments, but getting a little bit more inside, finding ways to penetrate, yeah. wanting to win that battle in front of the net. There's, I know it's cliche, but you know those were the things that Colorado was really uh, clinical with in tonight's game, boxing out, grabbing a stick, making sure that you know loose pucks were cleaned up. Those those are really the things that Colorado did so well tonight. Anytime you lose a hockey game, there's always things you could have done better. Yeah. You could always created more. If you didn't score enough, you could have you should have created more to score more. Or you could have created more. And that's always, you know, something that you can do. But it's it's one of those things where the the talking points to me aren't aren't debilitatingly critical in terms of how the team is played outside perhaps of some personnel issues if injuries now the talk didn't have an update on Friedman nor did he give an update on Tyler Myers so we're not quite sure what their status is but that does loom large with Carson Soucy still being out Dino says hard to feel too bad about this loss I feel like they were full value expected goals on money puck pretty much had them dead even a lot to like one more save maybe Dino text then and we can talk about that a bit more too about Thatcher Demko and more of your text messages but let's get back to the phone boards and let's go to gary and maple ridge waiting patiently to get on gary thanks for holding on to your phone line and what are your thoughts tonight well first of all i'm i'm enjoying you guys uh checking um well basically uh trying to decide whether or not we're we're doing what we're, we're what we're supposed to be doing my opinion is this is that uh, uh i don't care about the refereeing i wasn't worried about how many goals we were scoring it's the Frustration, and I, I was talking to the producer about John, Dakota Joshua, um, the, um, the number 34, number 8. I can name about maybe six of the, basically the bottom six. They're not scoring enough goals. And when I saw Dakota Joshua miss those two opportunities, uh, he has to put at least one. Well, put, if he puts one of those in, it's a different ball game. And um, I like... Uh, I do like Colorado, but uh, uh, it wasn't a five to two game. It was like a, and I guess like you guys have been saying, it was a three to two game. And I'm frustrated. And I've been watching the Canucks for years, and this is a good team, but we just we're not there yet. And it's uh, when you see Dakota Joshua miss those two opportunities, it really uh, it just you're almost ready to throw throw in the towel, but not quite. Um, uh, by the way, thank you for letting me uh, come on. I really enjoy watching it, and I really enjoy um, uh, the show. It's really great. It's it's good. You- oh, sorry, I think his phone line cut off at the end there. But thanks for the phone call uh, there, Gary. Always appreciate your thoughts and, and you hanging in there. And no, no, I agree generally with with a lot of, of what Gary had to say, Dan. Yeah, it's it was a close game, five uh, two. I mean, the empty netter always sort of makes uh, the game look a little bit more out of hand than it actually was. But again, Colorado, they sort of played that counterattack style, waited for their opportunity, and Kale McCarr picked it perfectly to really ice the game at 4-2. Well, you know, we are going to go to break in a second here, but to build on the, off that for a second on Colorado, I agree. I think they played the counterattack style well in the third, but I think the way they play is kind of a hybrid anyways, where they're so good defensively, they're so good at falling back and holding on to their position that... If they have to, they'll do that, not make mistakes, then hit you on the counter. They'll take what you give them, but they will push the pace when they have the puck. Yeah. Like when they have the puck, they're not just looking at getting into the red line and, and just dumping it in and getting off to a change. I mean, this is a team that's very aggressive. They attack you straight on very hard. And 
And that's what's so impressive about them. Like when they're on their game, and I don't know if they were completely on their game game completely, but they were, you know, very good tonight in many aspects of their game. They push the pace, but when they're on their heels, it's like they they revert back to being really strong defensively and then taking advantage of that of trying to hit the team on the counter. It's uh it's a team that's you know, like is the talent gap all that much larger between Colorado and Vancouver. Um, now, right now, with Pedersen not playing at his best, you feel that against a team like the Colorado Avalanche, even more so. Mm-hmm. Like McKinnon had some big moments tonight. Didn't end up scoring, but he did have some some really strong moments. Rantanen, same thing. But because of their cap issues lately and some of the injuries that they've got, they are a very top-heavy team right now. Yeah. But they play that team style that Rick Tockett is really trying to ingrain in the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, you saw what it looks like when it works well. And it's it's very tough to break down. And it really highlights your best players and gives them opportunities sometimes uh, in that counterattack style when you're holding leads. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just some, another level that you can aspire to. And it's stuff that takes time. In yeah. the chemistry they play with, the confidence they play with, they're real winners, right? And and you see that that quality really shine in so many aspects of their game. All right, we'll get to more of your thoughts. A lot of good questions. And what happens if Friedman and Myers are out for a while? And, and people are also making good points. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a real good text here that came in. Uh, and it said... We have a good team. Tonight was a solid game. Lost an e- a game to an even to a great team. Having said that, I think a game changing winger is something we need maybe more than a defenseman. Shane in New West. It's not a bad thought. We'll talk about that improvements and and other things, and also the matchup coming up against Seattle and how all of a sudden in the standings that cushion is starting to get smaller a little bit. We'll discuss how important the Friday game is, and we'll hear from Quinn Hughes and Ian McIntyre as the Canucks Central Post Game Show rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Backhand pass into the slot, chased down on the near boards by Byron. Behind the net for Colton. Down to the left circle. Hard shot, they score! Thrown to the net by Miles Wood. It gets past Demko, who's kind of pushed back into his own goal. With Tufty screening in front. Yeah, we had a lot of chances there, lots of shots. We just couldn't get a handle on a couple of them. And, you know, on the, I think it was the third goal. It got a stop in the slot there, and uh, they scored that goal. That was a, you know, that was the one you got to play good defense, and uh, we gave them that one. That's the head coach, Rick Tockett, on the third goal. And Tufty goal. Didn't stop in the middle. Yeah, the Kuzmenko goal. The Kuzmenko goal. <laughs> Kuzmenko, uh, McCabe, and Pedersen are out there. I mean, to be honest, uh, that line in general didn't look very good in many instances, and that instance as a whole as well. And Pedersen, uh, if you include the empty netter, was on the ice for four goals against Yeah, it. Same with mm-hmm. Kuzmenko. It's been a bit tough. It's been tough. And uh, that was a game-winning goal. Canucks yeah. lose 5-2, and that was a third goal in the game. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Satyar Shaw with 
Dan Riccio. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Uh, you can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. Uh, now, we had a number of thoughts coming in. Josh uh, texted in from uh, Mission and said, Colorado showed their pedigree at key points. We had the puck, but looked for the perfect play too often, whereas Colorado threw pucks on net, like the 3-2 goal, and got more chances with their possession as a result. Again, this is a, a team that is still building, but also Josh texted in other points and, and gave a lot of credit to the team and, and liked how they played as well, but a lot of correctable things in the game tonight. And I think that's ultimately a big part of it. A lot of things that are correctable, but it yet can be frustrating, like that goal, the three two one, the three goal, three two goal was. Yeah, and you just you heard it again from from Rick Tockett and um, watching the play a, a little bit deeper. You know, it's uh, it, yes, Kuzmenko. I think uh, is the one he would like to see stop in the slot instead of cheat a little bit higher up in the zone because. You know, whether or not he's able to make a play on the puck as it comes back out to the point, even if he stops in the slot, he's at least in the shooting lane. And then maybe that puck never really gets to the net. But also, you watch the play over again. You see Pedersen kind of make a weak play on yeah. Byram. He doesn't really doesn't really go in hard in the battle. And you know, so there's always multiple mistakes on the same play, but you know, it's it's Probably the more concerning thing right now for me with with Elias Pettersson, it's it's not that you know his offense doesn't seem to be there these last couple of games. It's that he's made some really strange decisions defensively with the puck, without the puck. It's just it's uncharacteristic of him as a player because generally he's hyper aware of his defensive responsibilities as a centerman on the ice. I don't disagree. He hasn't looked himself. And yeah. I think his shot is clearly affected too. Now, it's not from a lack of battle. Like we mentioned that battle with him and McCarr. Uh, he actually wins the puck with a hit on Kale McCarr, takes it away from him. It leads some zone time and him and McCarr just fighting back and forth for the entire 30, 40 seconds the Canucks were in that offensive zone. So it's not like he's not willing. It's not like he, you know, he's not engaged. It's the decision-making. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't quite seem to be there. Andy texted in and said, PD, McKay, and Kuzmenko were terrible tonight. Can't have that from your top line against Colorado. And, and you're right. I mean, on four of the goals, when those guys make those types of mistakes, it costs the team, and it certainly did here tonight. Um, now, Shannon New West texted in earlier, and we mentioned his text about, does this team need a uh, a game-changing winger more than adding another defenseman, maybe? Now, Juggy and... Uh, from Delta texted in and said, to reach this point, he agrees that yeah, the team has a lot of talent. However... You know, outside of Quinn Hughes and Heronic, you would take Colorado's defense, and it shows that Vancouver may not be as far as w- away as we thought, but they still have to keep adding and fixing their Achilles heel being the defense, is Juggy's point. So both Juggy and Shane and New West hinting at, hey, they need to do more. Yeah. It may not be that much more, but they need to do more. And I agree. I actually think that what they're missing is both. Yeah. For them to truly be, and I'm not just talking about knocking on the door with Colorado, I believe, and we've talked about this as well. I know you agree as well. I don't think you've changed your mind. I might be speaking too soon for you, but we'll see. But that they are two impact players away. Yeah, They're one like impact forward away and one impact demon away. Now, you want to get two demon, but I'm talking about like a, like a number, like another two, three. Maybe not quite as good as Heronic, but like, you know, a two, three similar. Yeah. You add that, 
you add another forward, we're talking about this team being a Stanley Cup contender with that goaltending, with Pedersen, with Hughes. Like that, that's what we're talking about here. If, if they add those two significant pieces, so to my answer is both. But I agree with Shane and New West that we're not paying enough attention to the need of another big time forward. And as long as Kuzmenko is not able to find that, I think if Kuzmenko was scoring more and and being a game breaker. Maybe that discussion would be like, yeah, you sh- you'd want another one, but you focus on the defense. But I do think right now with PDG playing in that role, Bevilliers trying to find his game, but still he is what he is. Garland, we know, is not going to be more than what he is on this team in the role he currently has. They do need another forward that can really drive play and be an impact guy. And I think Shane is bang on on that being a big need too. I think, can you get by... Can you get by with the defense you have and adding an impact forward? Like if you were to add one of the first names that comes off the top of my head because I really like him as a player is Travis Konechny. Yes, okay. Uh, he's got another year left at, at five, five million or so and sort of fits kind of what the Canucks need off the wing. A guy who can play at both ends of the mm-hmm. rink, fast player, hard player, a player that's easy to like and fit in your top six with a two-way skill set that is very hard to find on the wing. That's sort of a player that can really upgrade you up front and might really add an element to that Miller line that you don't necessarily have. So that's kind of the type of player I would look at and... Yeah, that's still going to cost you probably well, you I don't have, know about a first-round pick and a top prospect, but yeah, it's going to cost you quite a bit because uh, of Konechny's reputation around the league. Are they trading Konechny Philly if they're not getting a first? If they're not getting a first, I don't see why they would trade him. Right? And I mean, they're off to a decent start this year anyways. Yeah. You know, and we'll see where they're at by the deadline. Uh, for me, like, if, if I'm Philadelphia, I just... I, I, don't, I don't know what would be the point of keeping some of these guys after they sort of went into the summer being like, we're going to rebuild. <laughs> um, like at some point, do you just move guys when you strike, when their their value is at the yeah. highest? Um, but I, I agree. Like, Konechny has 11 goals this year. I don't think they're trading him. unless. So the cost for for a guy like him or an impact guy is going to be a first. Like yeah. You have to be willing to part with your first. To Either get a, a like first that. or a top prospect. You know, maybe wingers, you know, asset-wise, don't command the same kind of thing that a, mm. a centerman or a, a high-end defenseman would, but... You know, well, his he's contract's still, not bad either. Yeah, he's still so good, like good enough, and uh, you know, you get an extra year of the player. He's not just a strict rental. Yeah, that I think there's there's first round value in in Travis Konechny on, on the trade market, or at least top prospect value on the trade market for for Travis Konechny. Yeah, and I mean that's a guy that I look at, and you know whether that guy can play with uh, Miller or whether that guy can even move up and play with Pedersen. I think if you put a type of player, a player like him with Pedersen, especially if Kuzmenko is not going, um, I think that could also be interesting. I think it it gives you options to do things, but yeah, I think um, and I do believe too that the organization is not just strictly looking at defensemen. Yeah, it's about improving your team, and if you look at Jim Rutherford's teams with the Pittsburgh Penguins, yeah. They were teams that had decent defenses, mm-hmm. but the priority for them was dri- uh, play driving forwards. Yeah, and they added a Phil Kessel. They were looking to add speed and pace and and a bit more firepower up front at all times. Could you get by this year? You know, maybe they add uh, 
a, f- a five, six type with the traits that they're looking for on defense for a mid round pick, something like that. Um, whatever that might cost come deadline time, similar to how Jim Rutherford did it with the Pittsburgh yeah. Penguins defenses uh, in you know, their, their back-to-back cup runs. You spend less there because there is no great option. So you add a piece that might fit your playing style, yeah. whatever that might be. And then if you really feel like this is a year you can spend big asset value it's on somebody that really helps up front. It's just, to me, there's more options to the piece you would want to add up front rather than the one on the back end. As we know with Philip Ronick, who came out of nowhere, you know, those guys, they just, they generally don't become available, even if they're unrestricted free agents at the end yeah. of the year. Teams, especially if it's a contending team, they'll hang on to that guy and maybe trade his rights before he gets to free agency, but they just, they, they hardly ever come available. They don't. And I think in terms of building your defense, and this has been outlined, even Philip Hironik, he he wasn't a player that was available until Iserman called the Canucks and said, hey, this is what we want. Do you want the player? Let's make the deal. And the Canucks, you know, happily made the deal to acquire him. But there was no guarantee that he was going to be available. And if he's not available, like, who who are you trading for? When the Canucks first called on Hironik, per multiple reports, he was not available. Yeah. It was... Later on, that Steve Eisenman called them back and was like, "You still interested?" <laughs> yeah, it was on dead like right before the deadline, yeah. essentially, and and the deal went down. And let's say the Canucks don't make the Philip Hironik trade. Mm-hmm. Who are we try? Who are we talking about them trading for? They probably make a bigger play for Damon Severson. Maybe they trade, yeah, to get his rights, perhaps to yeah. get him, which wouldn't have cost as much. But is that exactly? Would you have rather done that? Who's the better player? Philip Hironik looks like to be the better player, right? Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's very hard to have those guys available. So, and then what if you don't, what if somebody, you, what if you don't get Severson? Yeah. Then you're in a real pickle, you know? So it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's easy to say, go get a top four defenseman, but they're not, they're not available. And I've been, you know, doing a lot of homework on this asking, you know, about, okay, like who can be available? What are some, there's a reason we don't really bring up names on defense. Yeah. There really hasn't been anything tangible outside of Ethan Bear and outside of Chris Tanev Zadorov, mm-hmm. which has come out with you know with word being out that both those guys are open to coming to Vancouver, obviously, and how they'd be interested if Vancouver approached them as free agents too. So we know we've heard about that, but we haven't really heard about anything else because I don't think there's any right now. They don't have any trade targets that have gone too far down the road to make those important moves for right. Yeah. So it's you can't force something that's not there. In the offseason, what do you do? At least there's some free agents. Can you patch it over for a year or two with a guy like Chris Tanev? You know, I, th- I, don't, think, I don't think it's unwise to do what you've done with Ian Cole. Yeah. If you can't find the big pieces, don't go to overspend on trade. Don't go overspend on a guy who's not as good like a Ryan Graves, for instance, because well, he's younger. <laughs> Sign Ian Cole for a one-year deal. Sign Chris Tanev to a one- or two-year deal. Like If you can do that, you patch and buy yourself time for Tom Willander to be ready. It almost feels like a market inefficiency where you know the unrestricted free agent that is 28, 29, 30 years old uh, and is a pretty good player with a good reputation is going to get multiple years. Carson Soucy versus Ian Cole. It's it's sort of the the perfect um it's a perfect showcase as to why there's a market inefficiency on older defensemen. Ian Cole signs one year three million. The plan has always been that Ian Cole is gonna play a bigger role this year 
than Carson Soucy was going to play for the Vancouver yeah. Canucks. And yet, Soucy got the bigger contract. It's really because of age. And that's where, especially with a guy like Tanev or somebody else, maybe the Canucks continue to play in that area. I feel like Zadorov is still looking to get uh, paid pretty well, given Dan Milstein's comments. But whereas Tanev, you know, maybe not the... He's not a hometown guy. He's not a Vancouver guy. He is from Toronto, but you know, played so much of his career here and clearly might have an idea of wanting to play out his career in Vancouver. That might be a hometown discount guy that could be valuable to the Vancouver Canucks in a year where they're going to have to pay Pedersen more and they're going to have to pay Philip Ronick more. Yeah, absolutely. You have to find some some cheap guys around and you have to get guys on on, on entry-level contracts coming through and, and being surplus value in many ways. And you're, you're right. A market inefficiency is becoming giving veteran guys short-term deals that can actually give you something tangible and the prices aren't too ridiculous. Austin and Langley asks, could the Canucks entice Patrick Kane? So... You know, we we spoke about this and overrated, underrated, and I'd still know. I'd be open to it. The biggest question is, what is he demanding contract wise? You could sign him to a contract with bonuses that tax the next year, but the Canucks are kind of up against it still. I don't think he can get a bonus contract. Actually, no, right? He can't yet. No, he can't. Yeah, because he wasn't thirty five. He wasn't July first. No, you're right. He can't get it. So he can't. Sorry, you're right. You can't get the bonus contract. So so he can't do that. The Canucks just simply don't have the cap space. And there's word, and, and Elliot Friedman mentioned this, he may not just be looking for a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. He might be looking for a couple years or something. So I, I just don't know if that can happen. But yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't be against it if you could get him on a one-year deal to come to play the rest of the season and fit in somewhere and be if he could be a dynamic player for you when he's healthy. But I uh, I'm still out on Patrick Kane. Yeah, you're you're not you're, you're not buying it. Although they could have used uh, some more impact skill in a game like uh, tonight's uh, against the Colorado that's what Avalanche. I'm saying, like if if Kuzmenko was popping, yeah, and I don't think he's playing all too different from last year. It's just it's not going in for him, and now his confidence issue becomes, and the longer you go without scoring, it becomes yeah. more problematic. And and people are asking a lot of questions here uh, about. Um, Andre Kuzmenko, his game, how he fits in long term. We'll talk about that. We'll get to more of your text messages. We'll hear from Quinn Hughes and we'll talk talk about the matchup against Seattle as a Canuck Central post game show rolls on on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet six fifty. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central post game show on the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet six fifty and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Kev, and he floats it to the avalanche end on the back end. A car behind his own goal, hit by Pedersen behind the net. Pedersen gets the puck free left corner, protecting it from Kale McCarr, who hits him into the boards again. Kuzmenko down low to help out, fights it loose right point for Juleson. He'll rim it back behind the goal. Pedersen again hit into the boards by McCarr. Continues to battle, Kuzmenko again into support. Rims it around left point. Tyler Myers just held into the line from Mikheyev on the boards. Battling with Tufty. Pedersen and McCarr continuing to go back and forth as a puck comes loose to the line. Juleson can't hold in, and the Canucks have to regroup in the neutral zone. Pick number four and pick number five in the 2017 draft going at it there. A good battle, and there is some chippiness to Kale McCarr's game. Kale McCarr. The difference tonight for the Colorado Avalanche, outdueling Quinn Hughes, two points, a goal. 
as the Colorado Avalanche will go on to win 5-2 over your Vancouver Canucks in Colorado. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Dan Riccio. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox, 650-650. We are going to hear from Quinn Hughes coming up in just a moment. And we are going to get to Ian McIntyre in a bit as well. But uh, a lot of questions uh, coming in about Andre Kuzmenko. Um, somebody texted in just a moment ago, a few moments ago, I would say. And, and honestly, a lot of thoughts coming in as always and sometimes um, it's a bit tough to keep yeah. up and I'll, and I'll lose track of one here and there I'll try to flag as many as I can and then I realize I have like 400 messages flagged <laughs> and I don't even know where to begin but somebody texted in and I'm sorry if I don't give you credit for your name here but mentioned that we should maybe have a conversation about Kuzmenko is he going to be here long term is he a player that actually fits with the head coach and truly what Rutherford wants and I think it's only fair to ask those questions in general. Yeah. And as when Kuzmenko's not scoring, that's always going to be the question. Are you doing enough things outside of your scoring that help the team win? And players go through slumps, ups and downs, those things happen. And he's still been productive. It's not like he doesn't have any points on the season, right? But if you're not going to be a pr- prolific goal scorer, but you're going to make some mistakes that the coach typically can't live with. Yeah it becomes harder to have your fit make sense long-term. Kuzmenko's got to score. It's still early in the season. He, honestly, he's, what, a, a six-game heater away from changing the discussion completely, turning it on yeah. its head. And I he's mean, still not like far off from being a point-of-game guy anyways. No. So, and if he scores, let's say, five or six goals in his next six or seven, eight games, which he's capable he, of doing he showed he, he could do last year at the very least if he does that everything changes and by the end of the year he's there with 30 and nobody's batting an eye but with him that's going to be the question this season he only signed a two-year deal he didn't yep. sign a long-term contract and he still has value for the organization what are they going to do do they get to a point where they say all right like this is what he is not going to fit here so let's do something else with it i don't think we're there yet at all with him at all he had a, such a good year last year such an mm-hmm. exciting player such a positive guy around the team too. Good attitude. Everyone loves him. They're going to give him time. Yeah. But I do agree. It's a big year for him. And we spoke about this and just, you know, but we hadn't seen the tough times for him yet. And now he's facing some struggles. Some of, you know, getting called out a bit, defensive mistakes here and there. Only three goals in the season so far. And this is going to be, you know, it's, it's, he's going to have to produce a lot of goals by the end of the year for them to be sold on him long-term. Last year, he, um, Anytime there was any question about Kuzmenko's play, whether it was the healthy scratch he took early in the season from Bruce Boudreau or the many times, even under Rick Tockett, where he would get a benching, you know, not play for the end of the third period or made a mistake, made a turnover at the offensive blue. And, you know, all of a sudden he's just stapled to the bench for a little bit. It was always a quick response. He'd score the next game, make a big play, whatever it was. I mean, he scored 39 goals last year. He was scoring every other game, essentially. This year, he hasn't responded as well. And there's still the flashes in his game that are really good, really quality. But there's also still the moments where you're like, is that really what the coach wants? And that's kind of the moment and the situation we are in where Tockett is going to be so heavy on details. And if he's going to keep guys accountable, 
he can't overlook it when the five and a half million dollar guy who scored 39 goals last year makes the same defensive mistake or makes the offensive zone turnover doesn't get doesn't get the puck deep whatever it might be with Kuzmenko those little details he's got to hold him accountable as much as he does anybody else you know, when this team was struggling at times last year and Kuzmenko's doing his thing and people would text in, and I know Tyler often texted in too and made, and made great points about just play the guy, let him play and do his thing. And it's true. However, now that you see the evolution starting to happen with the team, or at least they're, they're attempting that evolution, yes. and they've had a good start to the year so far. Now it matters mm-hmm. not making mistakes. Now it matters making smart decisions. Yeah. The good line changes all the time. And tonight, we mentioned the four goals. Each one, there was a mistake a Canuck made. You remo- remove those four mistakes, and mistakes are still going to happen, but it wasn't just limited to those mistakes. There's a few um, other ones that happened that led to some odd man chances at times, which Colorado did not take advantage of. But outside of that, the Canucks created their own chances. They were strong tonight. They competed hard. They didn't give up. They were pushing hard, and uh, in many ways went toe-to-toe and looked like they belonged in the conversation, right? Yeah. So when you're there now, where you belong in the conversation, these habits matter so much. Oh, so much. Because now it's, 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 now it's the difference between winning or losing. Before, yeah, yeah listen, you're losing 5-2 anyways. Against a, uh, now, you lost 5-2, but you're losing 5-2 anyways. Let Kuz do his thing. Whatever. Yeah. That goal he may give up, may not, it's not going to be the reason you're already anyways. the playoff Who race. cares? But now the difference is that mistake, that moment could have been a different game for you could have been a different outcome yeah and now we're talking about the canucks being the type of team that should be in that discussion so yeah all these things matter so much more now well and the schedule is going to get pretty brutal as the season goes on right you know you've lost this one to colorado vegas is coming up on the schedule next week as you get deeper into the season um it's going to get pretty rough for the canucks especially through February, March, and April. That's when the heaviest and hardest parts of their schedule are set to be played. And that's down the stretch where you really want to be honing in on your game and getting ready for the playoffs. And if Kuzmenko's still making these types of plays, then he's going to be even on a much shorter leash from the coach. And that's something you just can't have because he is one of your most skilled offensive players and they need his offensive impact in the lineup, especially at the high end of the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, in fairness to the game tonight, and the coach really singled that play out more than anybody else, He didn't right? single Kuzmenko out. But he singled the play out. But he singled the play out, and it looks to be... He's part of it, at least. Yes. At the very least. Whether he's the main culprit or not, he's part of it. So that's, a, that's the one he, he mentioned. But the other goals, too. The first one. Yeah. You know, now it's not Hironik's fault. He's defending a two-on-one down low on the PK. But he's he, he's a no man. The Canucks life. lost their diamond a little bit. There. They did, and he just kind of stood in the middle, did nothing, and allowed the pass to go over. And it's like take the pass away at the very the least. The way the Canucks want to defend that play, they want Heronic to take away the back door. Yeah, take he, away the pass, let Demko take the shot, and he didn't. The next thing you know, the puck's behind. Now it's hard to sometimes be like, well, it's his fault because it's a two on one. Ultimately, he yes. could have shot and scored anyways. Right? It's a high, it's a very high danger scoring chance. Regardless, he did the worst thing you could do though is just How, freeze up precisely. So. For a guy you expect a lot of. And yeah. I thought some moments tonight he fought the puck too, made some good plays, of course. And then the second goal, uh, Cole and Juleson 
And Juleson, more than anything, kind of loses Drew Ann in front of the net and he tips the puck in. I mean, it's it's, it's a mistake. You lose your guy. You yeah. shouldn't lose the guy. I know he's not hasn't been great, but Juleson's kind of puck watching and he just doesn't. Yeah, Durant sneaks in behind him. Yeah, and like Brandon and Poco says, appropriate for the American Thanksgiving holiday that JT Miller gave the puck to Kale McCarr. <laughs> and yes, I mean, he gave the puck away on the fourth goal. Now the Canucks are down a goal. They're pressing and trying to make yeah. a play. And I mean, JT Miller, the goal he scored, by the way, tonight. I mean, have we, have we even talked about the Not in the post game, no. We haven't done it yet? I mean, that, that goal was remarkable from JT tonight. You know, but outside of the mistakes... You know, unlike Kuzmenko, where JT will make the odd mistake, but he's been so prolific scoring-wise. And the goal he scored tonight is, is honestly one of the most impressive goals we've seen so far this season. He he shows his strength, the, the power to drive through, yeah. the bursts in his skating, his incredible hands, and his coordination, and his and his IQ and vision. All It's all displayed on one play. You know how sometimes you know we're accused of fawning over JT Miller a bit yes. too much? And maybe we're overcompensated by getting to this so late here on the postgame show, but we spent a lot of time yesterday uh, on Canuck Central dissecting JT's game and, and pointing and saying... How like, unique he is he around is, the league. He's a power center. Only two centers in the cap era that are 6'1 or taller, 200 pounds or heavier. Only two centers. Over that meets that meet that height and criteria, have had multiple seasons of a point per game, yeah, and a hundred hits. It's incredible. only two players. The only player, other player than yeah. JT who's done it twice on pace to do it his third year is Ryan Getzlaff. Wow. That's it. The only guys who've done it multiple seasons in the cap era. Guys his size that, can, that have the skill and also are physical and can do what he can do are very rare. Yeah, and on that play he exhibited it perfectly. It's. Uh... It's a brilliant goal. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin, but he it's he sees that he's got the one-on-one with Devon Taves of all defensemen. Yeah. You know, a guy who is as good a defensive defenseman there is in the league. Yeah. Um, bar none. Straight up. And takes him one-on-one, goes wide, hard, then throws his weight into him, plays the puck onto his own foot, kicks it back up to his stick, and goes top shelf over over Georgiev, who has no idea where that puck is going because JT pulled that playoff where he bumps it off his stick like he's Pavel Bure in a preseason game. And I'm still in awe of what an incredible goal that was. Yeah, I mean, he plays it off his skate because if he doesn't, Taves going to knock that puck off his yeah. stick. And he just you know essentially hides it. But it also freezes Georgiev at the same time. Yeah, and it also allows... Uh, Miller's would kind of get even lower and drive farther in, get a little bit more space. It's just incredible. That, yeah. that entire sequence was incredible. Some good moments from the Vancouver Canucks. However, too many costly mistakes, and they lose 5-2. And to break it down, we bring in the man we call the closer, but ultimately, he's a triple threat. You watch him on TV, you read him on digital, and you hear him on radio. He is Ian McIntyre. <laughs> So can we go back now to saying that uh, JT Miller has been the best forward this year, or is it still Elias Pettersson? Oh, I think I think it's very clearly JT Miller, yes. <laughs> very clearly. Ask us next game. Pedersen has gone <laughs> gone two without a point. Yeah. For the first for the first time this season. And that line again, uh, I know that Talkett has uh, said uh, a couple of times recently that he wants to see them play with more speed. But uh, they don't. Uh, they don't 
look sharp at the moment. I think Kuzmenko is is struggling a bit. Mikheyev had the great chance early mm-hmm. on, but I I thought it was uh, uh, you know listening to what Talkett said after the game in his minute forty availability that the Canucks <laughs> posted. Um, I would agree with him. I think uh, I think the guys played hard tonight. Uh, a lot of guys mm-hmm. emptied the tank. It's it's disappointing that that they had that kind of effort. And uh, again, much like the Seattle game two games ago, it's it's two two going into the third, and it's right there for them. Uh, in this case, you know, I, I thought they actually outplayed the Avalanche in the third, even though Colorado got all three goals. I thought it was a good push in the final 20 minutes by Vancouver to try to get something out of that game. The Seattle game, they just were bad in the third, and the Kraken took the game away. But, you know, you it's, again, it's one of those games, you're on the road against an excellent team, you're tied in the third. You, you Really, if you're going to be a successful team, if you're going to be an elite team, you want to get something out of that game. And and they didn't, and it, it's not going to be necessarily any easier for them in Seattle, where the Kraken are seem to be finding their their top speed, literally and figuratively. And you know the Canucks are going to be down possibly another couple of defensemen. So so we'll see. But it was it was entertaining. wasn't the, wasn't necessarily the style of game I expected, with how fierce. It was uh, in front of the nets, and then and some of the intensity on the four checks. But I thought it was a, a really entertaining game for about fifty minutes. Yeah, I, I just uh, I agree. And the, the one thing I didn't like, like too many soft penalties, and then it felt like they were, you know, trying to even it up with the penalty calls in the second, and things kind of got out of control with the the five minute major, and the Canucks never actually spent a second on the power play during that five minute major that was handed yeah. to to Josh Manson, which is pretty wild in and in, in and of itself. But the the power play, IMAC uh, Quinn Hughes mentioned it post game as well that he thinks that the power play could could clean up some things um it, it's been such a separating factor for this team and um you know tonight it, it felt like it just even when they were on the power play early in the second it, it didn't feel like it generated the momentum that it had earlier in the season was it some of their miscues or or was Colorado just really good at defending uh, as they have been all year as a top five pk well, Colorado is very good uh, on the PK because they they've used their, I mean they're they're very well coached by Jared Bednar. I, I'm still not sure for for what he's done, even winning a Stanley Cup, that he gets the credit around the NHL or or, or at least say outside of the hardcore uh, hockey circles. I'm not sure he gets the credit among fans and reporters for how good a coach he is. So they're well they're well coached. Uh, they have those great players, and they they use their speed and and uh, skills shorthanded. So a lot of it a lot of it is uh, or was Colorado, but I also think the Canucks, especially on the first two advantages, they did not have the same sort of movement and player interchange that they've had for most of this season uh, to this point. They looked they looked a little static to me, a little point to point. Uh, Besser looked kind of stuck in the bumper, and when the puck would go down low to to JT, he seemed to just be focusing on trying to saucer one to, uh, to Besser like he did a couple of games ago. Uh, I thought the third power play looked a lot better as far as the movement. That was the one where JT, I think, was in three different spots. And, and that's when this power play uh, looks 
close to unstoppable at times is when you have um, Kuzmenko, Besser, and Miller rotating and taking up different positions and kind of swirling. Uh, for the most part, uh, Ilias is always, uh, not always, but for the most part, he's he's on his off wing for the one-timer. And of course, Quinn is is all over the place at the top of the umbrella going boards to boards. Um, but, it, you know, it's now 0 for 10 if you go back 11 periods. Back, you know, they scored on their first chance in the loss against Calgary, and they're 0 for 10 since then, which isn't a crisis, and it's still a very good power play. Um, but it maybe this is just uh, the cyclical downturn that that all power plays seem to have, but until until the last couple of games, the Canucks have been uh, immune to that. Uh, they have so much talent, though. Uh, I don't see the unit struggling for long, and you know they they do need it, and, and especially in these road games. You know, tonight for for everything that 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 went on and the controversial incidents in the second period and. And, you know, JT's great individual goal and then his turnover, which when both Cole and Myers were going forward, which yeah. wasn't opportune, you know, it's, it's it's a bit of bad luck that you turn the puck over there and it catches your defense because both defensemen shouldn't be going forward at the same time. Right. But for all of that stuff, you know, in what was a one-goal game halfway through the third period, the the Colorado power play had scored once and the Canucks hadn't. And at that point, that was one of the key differences. No, it certainly was. And, you know, the Canucks PK is, uh, I mean, I want to say it's this major concern, but I do think it's one of the weak spots for the team. Again, for the most part, they had done a good job of kind of being in the middle of the pack. Now they're kind of dropping back down again. And Hironic gets caught in no man's land, defending the two on one, doesn't take the pass away and doesn't contest a shot either. And it's kind of the worst play you can make in that instance. The PK with Susie out as well, and we'll see what the status is with Myers too, who left the game late. It is a little bit concerning, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think especially when you start to look at the manpower, I would say it's been just slightly disappointing because I think there was an expectation when that when Teddy Bluger finally got back in the lineup and as Ilya Mikheyev got more reps, because you know, it's a long time ago now that, that uh, Mikheyev returned, but he did miss the first couple or what was it, four games, and then when he returned, he wasn't. He was kind of being eased back in, so he wasn't getting a whole lot of power play time. Uh, I think the thought was, okay, well, the unit, the unit kind of survived during that time, and now that that Bluger's back and McCabe's getting more reps, it, it should start to to go north in in the rankings, and and it hasn't. So uh, I would say I don't fully agree. Uh, with you, Sat, that it's a, a concern because nobody should have thought that the the penalty killing would be anywhere near as effective as what the power play is. And in totality, if you combine the two, the Canucks are still one of the elite special teams teams uh, in the NHL. Also, the penalty killing went from being historically bad to I don't know where it is after this game, it, but it's been, you know, for the most part, mid-pack, middle third. Um, is it lower than that now? You can tell me while I ramble here. But 
you know, I don't think if they're counting on their penalty killing to be the difference maker, I don't, I don't see where that is, is that kind of thinking is, is founded. I do think that the special teams collectively can be a difference maker, but the, the, the bigger onus is on the power play and the power play has been very good. And the penalty killing has been for the most part, very, very average which at the start of the season you would have taken. So we're through the 20-game mark. We've hit uh, American Thanksgiving. Canucks are comfortably in a playoff spot, which is where you want to be uh, through this first checkpoint of the season, IMAC. Um, but but I guess you know now that it seems they uh, have got a really good chance to, to get to the playoffs, do you set your sights a little further on you know how good can you be this year, or do you still see this as a development year for the Vancouver Canucks? No, I, I mean I've never really seen it as a development year. I've I've seen it. Yeah, as maybe that was of, too strong of a, a word. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a transition year, right? They're trying they're trying to move uh, out of the mosh pit. They're trying to move from being just a, a team that's going to get somewhere between eighty eight and ninety four points. And and be something better, you know, not just be a playoff team, but be a, be a playoff team where you're not you're not fighting into games eighty and eighty one and eighty two just to get in. So in, in that respect, I think I think they've done probably a little better than than what people thought. Um, but you know, the, this is only one quarter, and it feels like a lot has happened. And a lot of good stuff has happened as well, but it's only one quarter. Well, it's not even a quarter technically. Uh, so it's indicative of, of how long this race is and how much it's, it's actually going to, going to take. I think if they ever start to think what you just asked me, Dan, you know, about, about doing something great, I, I think they're in real trouble. I, I think part of the reason they've been, uh, consistently good and they weren't again they weren't bad tonight they lost to a very good team but they weren't bad tonight they they played a good road game but i think part of the reason that they've been consistently good is that talkit has managed to keep their attention focused nightly and where they've had these these little dips in their play like against you know seattle where they lost you know back-to-back games is when it, it feels like they let off the intensity, and and whether that's just tired or fatigue because they are playing a lot of games in a short period of time right now, or whether it's you know they take a step back, they have a day off, they see where they are in the standings, they see that a lot of things have gone great, and maybe they do lose just a little bit of edge, and and it might not even be for a full game, it might just be for a period, but that's enough to lose. I mean. It's, it, it, you can lose with even um, less of of a dip than a period in the NHL. Sometimes all it takes is a shift. But I, I think the team has to stay in this, uh, I don't want to say desperate, because you can't play desperate for 82 mm-hmm. games, and it's probably not good on your psyche. But they have to stay hungry. Yeah. They, can't, they can't get satisfied for a moment. And I think it would be a big mistake if they start – thinking big picture of, oh, not only can we be a playoff team, maybe we can win something this year. I think that's a question, you know, as we get near the trade deadline, we'll see where the team is. We'll see, we'll see what the window, quote-unquote, 
actually looks like mm-hmm. and what what this team might be willing to give up to to add players but you know right now uh, i think they need to just keep doing what they've been doing with pocket keeping their focus uh d- game after game day after day earn your day right that's that's his mantra they just they just have to keep earning their day one day at a time uh, now, Ian, uh, before we let you go, uh, and, and, and the Canucks now are 23rd on the PK, and uh, okay. they're, not, they're not that far off. I mean, Florida and Chicago, uh, they're only separated by 0.2 percentage points, so it's pretty close up until 21st. So kind of in that grouping, just outside the middle of the pack, I'd say, right? I mean, But yes, they are yeah. better than last year. Last year, they finished at 71.3 or so. But uh, nonetheless, moving on to... Uh, Friday against Seattle. The Canucks have done a great job with their start, 13-6-1. They built a great cushion up, and they've done a good job of you know getting a real strong foothold in a top three spot in the division, being second right now. LA has, a, has, has three games in hand. They're only two points back. But see, that Seattle game on Friday, all of a sudden, Seattle's now six points back. Now, Vancouver has a game in hand, but all of a sudden, early in the season, we're at the quarter mark. It's been very positive, but this could be a pretty big swing game where the Canucks can build on that cushion again or invite uh, Seattle back into the divisional race again. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also think it, it's a game where Vancouver needs to have some kind of response because of how they played against Seattle when the Kraken were at Rogers Arena a couple of games ago. It was not it was not a good night for for Vancouver. Uh, I don't know how, really how good a night it was for the Kraken, but they did enough to win, and they they certainly deserved it in the third period over over Vancouver. So I think there's I, I think there's a response needed that way. Um, Again, I would I would suggest that if they think in those terms about what it means in the standings, win or lose, and then they're probably inviting trouble. Like yes. you know, to stay in the moment. I think realistically, to your point, realistically, it is a huge it is a huge swing game because you look at the momentum. It 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 seems almost hard to believe that the game could bring the Kraken that close to the Canucks in the standings. That was a team that, what, they lost their first five mm-hmm. uh, this season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And and meanwhile, look at how the Canucks were at the start. I know they were only two and two through four games, but from game five on, uh, they just went on a heater. And and so, it, it you know, it is a big game. It is a big divisional game. I mean, Edmonton just seems like, with with each game that goes by where they fail to stop their free fall, it, it's just less and less likely that they're ever that they're going to come back and be a factor. Um, and Calgary is still kind of scuffling, but they're you know winning a little more lately. Not you know not every game, but they're they seem to be trending slowly the right way. So it is you know by the end, it's still going to be. It's still going to be a dogfight. Like it, it, nothing is going to be easy mm-hmm. uh, in this division, and nothing is going to be easy for this team. But you know, it's a lot. It's a lot easier to deal with that, to meet pressure with pressure. To use another, you know, Rick yeah. Talkettism. You can tell I've covered this coach a lot yes. so far this yes. year, right? And we're, we're, we've also have. been like, it's, it's like everybody's bought in at this point. 
Yeah. Well, why not? Right? I've been yeah. talking about rail guys and resets and all these kinds of weird things. <laughs> I, I'm still not sure what he was talking about on the third goal stopping the slot. I'm going to have to go back and, and look again. I thought at first maybe he was talking I, about the uh, the fourth goal. but We, we broke it down a little bit. Goal. I think it's on Kuzmenko. He wants Kuzmenko okay. to stop in the slot and play on the rail, and he doesn't. Okay. Well, I, I think that uh, I was going to say it's going to be tight at the end. Like, well, whatever happens. It's not going to be easy, but it's easier to cope with that pressure and with those expectations when you're playing ahead yeah. instead of playing behind. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important that they don't they don't have you know three weeks that are as bad as the three weeks in October were good. You know they can't they just don't want to be in a position where suddenly now they're desperate in the standings and there's all all that much more pressure. On trying to trying to win every game, so it's important that they keep, you know, uh, keep keep gathering points, and that's why, again, on a game like tonight, where you know it's two two in the third, you're on the road against a great team that is going to be a rival in the conference for sure. Uh, it would have been nice for them to get something. Yeah, no, it would have been, but uh, it's a long season and uh it's one of those years where every game is such a nice big event because they all mean so much the Canucks are off to a good start and another big response is needed on Friday in Seattle and we look forward to chatting with you from Seattle hopefully Ian on Friday and we appreciate your time as always and I can't wait 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 to read your latest on sportsnet.ca well I will be there at beautiful climate pledge arena I'd encourage everyone to get there sometime if you love hockey and love rings because it is one of the the great buildings in the nhl already and let's just hope it's not a ot or shootout game and i'll have lots of time to come on radio post game because i like chatting with you guys yeah well we always appreciate it Ian. thanks so much for your time thanks all right good see you guys uh, that is Ian McIntyre. Make sure to check out his latest on sportsnet.ca. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening and participating. We appreciate it very much, as as always. I look forward to chatting with you tomorrow on uh, Canuck Central, live at location at the Clayton Public House tomorrow. Uh, we're excited for that. Thursday yeah. football. We've got a lot of it from 10 a.m. onwards tomorrow. Yeah, so we'll be there tomorrow and uh, back at it again on Friday when the Canucks take on the Seattle Kraken. Look forward to be on, being on the postgame show then as well. Special thanks to Fast Eddie Gregory on the boards. He's Dan Riccio. I'm Satyar Shaw. And this has been the Canucks Central postgame show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.